Are you ready to open God's Word together? Let's do that as we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. And as we prepare to receive that word, I'll invite you to stand with me. Can you do that? Great passage of Scripture here, one that you're probably familiar with. But let's read it together as we prepare to come to the table. Beginning with verse 1, John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the, masters of the, banquet, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. May God add his blessing to that word. Go ahead and be seated. Love this story. It, it, it is, of course, not uncommon for there to be a problem or two at a wedding. I remember growing up, I, I had the privilege of serving as a ring bearer several times. I must have been one of those cute kids or something. But uh, when I was five or six years old, I was involved in a wedding at uh, Fulton Creek Friends Church where I remember uh, that those were the days when the, the ring bearer actually held the rings. You know, they don't do that very often anymore, but they would put them on a pillow and, and lightly tie them, uh, uh, loosely tie them to the pillow. Well, as a, as a young kid, I'm walking down the aisle and I'm probably nervous and I'm probably a little bit fidgety as well I'm sure but I get down to the very end and during the prayer I got my eyes closed and suddenly I hear a clanking on the floor below me well I knew I wasn't supposed to open my eyes I'm praying but I couldn't help myself and I opened to see that the rings on the pillow were gone both of them gone and I didn't know what to do I needed some help well, apparently, the, the, the groomsman, the, the, the best man, also uh, couldn't help but open his eyes during the prayer. And so when he saw that the rings were gone, all of a sudden, I'm watching him, and he's over near the organ, looking under the organ, trying to retrieve one of the rings. He's over there moving the ring. Now, obviously, then, the pastor must have also given in to temptation. His eyes must not have been closed, because I noticed as, as the groomsman is there looking for the ring, the prayer just kept going on and on and on and on, until the rings were retrieved, and they had them back on my pillow, and finally then, the pastor said, amen, and we could continue on with the service. It's not uncommon not uncommon at all for there to be a problem or two at a wedding. This morning, I want to talk about this word, help. Help. We don't like to think of ourselves as needing help. 
We like to be in control. We don't want to be in debt to other people. We don't like to, to think that, that we aren't strong enough or somebody needing as someone who needs help. So I, I thought it might be a good thing for us this morning just to turn to our neighbor and say, look, I need help. But then I realized, you know, that's probably just a little too vulnerable. It's probably a little too hard. So instead, what I'd like you to do is turn to your neighbor and say to them, you need help, okay? So go ahead, go ahead and do that for a second. They really got into that in the first service. So, uh, you know, that was kind of interesting. That's a lot easier. That's much better. You need help. But let me tell you something, friends. If I know anything about the scripture... I've learned this truth. It teaches us that we all need help. In the scriptures, it becomes clear that, that, that it is clear in our understanding of our own spiritual condition, our own spiritual identity, that we all need help. In fact, in the Bible, my help or my helper is actually one of the most used names for God. Jehovah Ezer. The Lord my help. So in Hebrews, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. In Psalm 33, we read this, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Jehovah Ezer. That is why I think that we need to spend some time this morning as we've looked at these seven words that can change our life to identify this word help just might change your life. We're made, listen, if you take nothing away except for this, take this away with you this morning. We are made to live in continual dependence upon God. We need his help. We were made to lean on him. And so what might look like weakness, in fact, is the source of strength and hope and life. Because if you think about it, the alternative is this. The alternative is, is to say, no, I don't need help. I am self-sufficient. And I'll tell you this, it will always lead to the same place. Disaster and despair. The truth is, this morning, I need help. Now, in this wedding, the problem we see here is that they have run out of wine. Now, we need to take a step back and just understand the culture. Maybe you realize this, but hospitality in that culture was a sacred obligation, and to run out of wine would have brought a great deal of shame to the family. So if you think about it, the memory of, of, of the stain, the, the, the shame would have, would have followed this couple for years and years to come. So, so what we end up here is with this prayer for help. Max Lucado says this is the first prayer to Jesus ever prayed. Now, it's not called a prayer, but that's really what it is. Mary, the mother of Jesus, says they have run out of wine. By the way, what are you running out of today? What are you lacking this morning? Patience? Strength? Courage? Hope? 
Anyway, Mary, Mary talks about this, and he goes, she goes to Jesus, and she, we don't know why she does it. Maybe she just feels badly for the couple. Maybe she's a part of the family. This is a relationship, or this, she's a relation. Maybe she's the wedding coordinator. We, we don't even really know, but Mary wants to do something about this, and she goes to Jesus. Maybe it's because Jesus decided to invite all those disciples to come along, and, and they are uncouth tax collectors and fishermen, and they just, you know, uh, John Ortberg said this, he wrote, they followed the most interesting man in the world, and maybe their motto was, stay thirsty, my friends. Now, that is a little bit of a dated reference, but I, I, I thought that worked there. So all these disciples, and there's not enough wine. For whatever reason, Mary comes to Jesus, and she says these five words, it's a prayer, they have no more wine. Now, to those of us who don't think we pray well enough, I think this is instructive. If this is the first prayer, and it's made by Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Jesus, I want you to notice right off the bat, this is not a fancy prayer. You know, beautiful prayers, we put them on the plaques and walls of people and they hang them on their walls at homes. The Lord is my shepherd, our Father who art in heaven. Typically, we don't have this prayer. They have no wine. We don't put that <laughs> up. Nobody does that unless you're maybe in Napa Valley or something like that. But, but it does remind me of this. The prayer isn't really about as much about what we say, but about to whom we say it. And Mary comes to Jesus. And Mary is bold here. And, and in fact, this whole story hinges on the decision that Mary makes to come to Jesus and let him know they have run out of wine. And it's clear, isn't it, that Jesus did not come to Cana to perform this miracle. He, he didn't come. He, he, he came to celebrate. He, he wasn't in the ceremony. He wasn't going to be a part of the ceremony. He just came to enjoy the celebration. But Jesus does what he does because Mary asked him to. Her request, her prayer changed things. Don't forget that. Her prayer made all the difference. Now, we know Jesus wasn't planning on doing a miracle in Cana. This is what he says. He, he doesn't, by the way, say, you know, Mom, I know they're out of wine. I got this. I'm on it. It's okay. No, did, did you see her, his response? He says, woman, why do you involve me? What do I have to do with this? He says, my hour has not yet come. And I don't know about you, but when I read that at first blush, I'm a little surprised. This seems a little cold. This is not how I would expect Jesus to answer this prayer. He doesn't even call her mom, does he? Woman. He calls her woman. Now, that's not a sign of disrespect. Dale Bruner, a scholar, says there is really a kind of playful sparring going on here between mother and son. And he says, you just kind of have to picture Mary nudging Jesus with her elbow. Hey, son, they're, they're out of wine. But Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? What, what does this have to do with me? And you'll notice that 
Jesus does not give his mom the answer I'm sure that she expected. It's not the answer she wanted. He doesn't say, okay, I'll take care of it. No, he says, my hour has not yet come. It's not my time yet, mom. You know, sometimes we're going to pray the help prayer. And we're not going to get the answer we expected. You ever prayed that prayer? And it didn't come the way you thought it would. It didn't come in the timing you thought it surely would. Jesus, help. And you didn't get the answer you were hoping for. Jesus, my job, help me. Jesus, it's cancer. Jesus, I feel desperately alone. And, and the truth is, I don't know why. I don't know why sometimes God chooses not to answer that help prayer in the way that we would expect him to or the way that we want him to. But I do want you to know what I believe. I believe that we have not yet fully seen the consummation of God's glory, that his hour has not yet fully come. I believe that despair does not win out. It does not get the last word. Tears and sin and hurt and heartaches are not the final note in this story. And so I believe that God is love and he loves to be our help and our refuge in times of trouble. And no matter what particular circumstance we may be in or how a particular circumstance comes out, God is always God. God is always good. God is always our help. Now, I don't know exactly how this played out. The Bible really doesn't tell us this. And we don't get to see the facial expressions of anyone involved here. But I do think at this point, when Jesus has said, my, my time hasn't yet come, I think he got a look from his mother. <laughs> I think she looked at him. You, you know what look I'm talking about? My wife, Mary, will give me a look. She doesn't have to say a word, right? She doesn't have to say anything. I get the message. There is a look at this point. Because notice, notice here that Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And Mary doesn't respond to him. She doesn't, she doesn't pay any attention at all. Her look says it all. And I, I think Mary gives Jesus that look. Because suddenly, without responding to Jesus, she doesn't say a word, but look at what she does do. She turns to the servants, and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And Jesus is just kind of amazed. Now, this is so interesting. Jesus just said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour, my time has not yet come. She doesn't say anything to Jesus. She doesn't even answer his question. But I think she gives him a look. And then she says this amazing sentence. And by the way, I don't think this is just a sentence for the servants. Listen to me. I don't think this is just a sentence for the servants. These are words that we all should take seriously because this really becomes direction for each of us this morning. 
Listen, my friend, if you want to know the kind of relationship in which the help prayer makes sense, do whatever it is he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know when the help prayer comes alive? You know when it makes sense? When we begin to do what Jesus has said to do. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know, I, I can't help but think how many people in this room this morning wonder why they aren't experiencing help from God. Because they've never decided to do what he says to do. They've never said, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. How often do we run out of wine because we aren't willing to do what he told us to do? Can, can you hear me? Will you listen to me this morning? If you want to see water turned into wine in your life, if you want to see up there come down here, if you want to see God actively involved in the everydayness of your life, in the ordinary problems of your life, if you want to live in the presence and the blessing and the mercy and the help of God here and now, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Does that make sense? This is where so many fail. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Resist the devil. Flee temptation. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Care for the poor. Don't forsake the assembly of, of yourselves together for worship. Don't lie. Seek first the kingdom of God. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. People wonder what kind of church we are. And that's a great question. What kind of church? I'd like to think that this gives us some instruction. I'd like us to be able to say North Olmstead Friends Church is the kind of church where we do what he tells us to do. That's the kind of church I want us to be. He says, go and make disciples. Go ye into all the world. We care about missions. We care about raising up believers who follow Jesus, who listen to his word. We want to do what he tells us to do. So we have this amazing statement here by Mary. She, she doesn't understand why Jesus said what he said why he is reluctant to do this miracle that she's asking him to do. But this is her response. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And folks, that's a pretty good way to live. And if we could live and incorporate that attitude in our lives, I'm guessing that we'd have a lot more blessing and miracles to talk about. Do what he tells you to do.
But you know, that's not the only amazing thing here. I want you to look at these servants because I think there's a great lesson in them too because I, lo I love this. Jesus doesn't say anything to his mom. He turns to the servants and he gives these instructions. Now, he, he could have told them, well, guys, I guess you got the rest of the day off. Party's over. Jesus could have said, well, you know, there's a market down the street and, and maybe you'll, they'll give you a good price. You better hurry. Jesus doesn't do that. No, he, he looks at those jars described by John. They're large jars. They have 20 to 30 gallons of water in each of them. And Jesus says, you fill the jars with water. And I want you to notice here, this is so key. Notice what they do. So they fill them, what? To the brim. To the brim. To the brim. Now, now these are huge jars. They, they didn't have to fill them to the brim. I mean, think about it. Let's say there are 150 gallons of water. I don't know where they got the water. They may have gone, had to go down to the spring or somewhere or to the, to the middle of the town. But they needed 150 gallons of water and they were in a hurry. Now, that was a lot of work. This miracle, listen, this miracle required for it to happen was going to take some work. It was going to take some cooperation by the servants. This water was heavy, and if it was me, I would have been looking for a reason to not have to carry so much. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know who Jesus was. They could have filled the waters with two-thirds of the way up, and they would have missed 50 gallons of miracle. But listen, this is key. Listen, they did what a good servant does. They obeyed him with their whole heart. They didn't just get a little water. They didn't have, well, I think that's good enough. They didn't have an attitude that says, eh, it's, it's fine. They went and they got the water and they filled the jars to the brim. You understand what I'm saying? There, there's an old saying that says, you know, bring God a thimble, he'll probably fill the thimble. You bring God a bucket, he'll probably fill the bucket. They filled that jar to the brim, each of those jars to the brim. And there are things that Jesus is going to ask you to do that doesn't always make sense. There are things that, that, that maybe you don't want to do, you don't feel like you want to do, maybe you don't even like to do, but this fill, the brim, fill to the brim obedience. I'm going to tell you when we have that kind of attitude with Jesus, it's always going to pay off. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. But here's the point. Do it with your whole heart. Fill it and fill it to the brim. And friends, I tell you this. I think sometimes we miss out on the miracle because we haven't really given our whole heart to the effort. Have you ever gone just through the motions? Okay, I got to do it. I'm on the hospitality team. I'm on worship this morning. 
I'm teaching a Sunday school class, and you're there. You showed up. If you're called to give, give like you mean it. Give, give a gift that actually represents a sacrifice on your part. Serve somebody else with delight instead of a grudge. Oh, man. You've been called to lead a Sunday school class. Do it with everything that is in you. God, help me. Help me to do this to the best of my ability. If we want God's help, do what he tells you to do. But friend, make sure you do it with your whole heart. Because this is what happens, and don't miss this. When we serve Christ with a fill-it-to-the-brim attitude, with a fill-it-to-the-brim spirit, we're the ones who get to be a part of the miracle. We get to see the water turned into wine. We get to see the wedding saved. You know, the, the, big, the, the, the big shots didn't know how this happened. The master of ceremonies didn't have a clue. The bridegroom didn't, bridegroom didn't know what was going on. It's the servants who did whatever he told them to do, and they knew what had happened. You know, I think that's a pretty good picture of God's kingdom, don't you? Because the servants always know what's really going on. Can you imagine those servants after that long day, they go home and their wives ask them, well, how was your day? And can you imagine the story they told? Can you imagine the story that they would tell and tell and tell again to their children and their grandchildren? I was at that wedding. I helped fill the jars to the brim. I saw Jesus turn the water into wine. He did the miracle. He turned in the water into wine, and it was the best wine, and it was lots and lots of wine. And John tells us this, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, John tells us this wasn't a miracle that just saved a wedding. This was about his glory. This morning, can I ask you this question? Where do you need help? Jesus, I have no wine. I have no joy. I have no friends. Jesus, I have no hope. Jesus, I have no life. Jesus, I need your help. Because I want you to know that this miracle is really about you. I'm not kidding. When it comes to your life, Jesus knows what you are lacking. If it's a wedding, he knows about the lack of wine. Last week we talked about a lunch. He knew about the lack of bread. If it comes to heaven, he knew that you didn't have enough righteousness to make it. He knew you didn't have enough goodness to have a relationship with God. 
And he knew that if there ever was to be a wedding at the end of history, the marriage supper of the Lamb, he would have to come and help us. And so this ministry began at a wedding. And let me remind you, it will end at a wedding because he came. And he poured out his blood like wine. And I'm going to tell you, it was the very best wine. And there is enough for everyone. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That, that picture is it's going to be filled up, full to overflowing to the brim. And he came to give that wine to you. I hope that puts this table into perspective. Because one day we're going to be at the wedding and we're going to be at the table again. But remember, you need some help to get there. In fact, our lives teach us, don't they, how much help we need? I want you to think about Jesus when he was a young boy. He had to ask his mom for help. Mommy, help me eat my food. Help me to get dressed. Help me to tie my sandals. That's how humble Jesus was. He said all of those things because that's the kind of life every one of us in this room has lived. At one point, we said to someone, I need your help. And the reality is, is if we live long enough and we become parents and then, then we get to a point is we end up asking our children to help us. Help me get dressed. Help me eat my food. Help me to go to the bathroom. We are born needing help. We die needing help. But here's the thing. This is the foolishness. In between, we can come to a point where we fool ourselves into thinking, I don't need help. And yet, a brittle bone, a loss of memory, a little age... And our eyes are opened, and we realize, I need help. Maybe that's what God teaches us through the course of life. Friend, don't be surprised that you need help. And when we pray to God, help me, I'm a sinner. Help me, I need a Savior. Jesus I'm out of wine. I'm out of strength. I'm out of joy. When we pray with our whole hearts, God's glory gets revealed one more time. And so he says, come to me, all you who thirst. Are you thirsty? Because if he could do that with water, just imagine what he could do with you. Let's pray. Father, we need your help.
This table for us becomes that representation that without you, there is no wedding at the end of history. But you came and you offered yourself and the wine flows freely and you invite anyone who would come to come, anyone who is thirsty to find joy and celebration and life in you. Oh God, how we need your help. I need thee every hour. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Hour I need thee, oh bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Let's commune with him. Let's acknowledge our need for him as we come to this table. At this point, I'd like our stewards to come forward. Just for practical purposes, uh, we again have the, the elements in the plastic uh, containers as you come and as you prepare to take those elements, the, the way to do that is to just kind of bend that tab down. That should release it so that you can then strip back the, the initial, the top part, which will give you access to the bread. And then when you're ready, you can take the second part and peel it off and then take the cup and drink. We're going to invite you to come down, those who are thirsty, to come down the center aisle, one on this side, the other on this side. You'll come and meet it together. We'll be at the uh, uh, stewards. will be here at the ends. You can take from either one. Then just go back to your seats by filing out along the outside. And then just have a moment, a time of communion. And acknowledge your need for him. Acknowledge the goodness that he has provided. He's given you the bread. He's given you the wine. Because he loves you. He loves you so much. In fact, as we celebrate this week, we know that on the night before Jesus was to die on the cross, he met with his disciples one last time for a last supper. And during those moments, the Bible says that he took some bread and he gave thanks to the Father, and then he broke it. And he said to his disciples, 
this is my body broken for you. When the supper had concluded, the Lord took a cup and he again gave thanks to the Father. And he said to the disciples, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. And often, as often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, Lord, your church today remembers. We remember that your ministry began at a wedding. And you are preparing your people for a wedding to come. And in the meantime, Lord, we need your help. This wine flows freely because you gave to us yourself completely. May we experience forgiveness, renewal, life, joy, and hope that your glory would yet again be revealed. We pray these things for the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen.